while since I've gotten a dick pic, do you know? I'm on the tube. No one is airdropping me anything. <laughs> that shouldn't... That's a weird sentence. It's a weird sentence. <laughs> Hello and welcome to The Process Podcast, where I will stubbornly keep not making introduction because where's the fun in any kind of repetition or consistency or anything like that but what i will be consistent on is quality of guests see segues <laughs> you can do them as today's guest is anina hello anina hello tyrone <laughs> how, how, how are we doing on this stupidly stupidly hot day good good yeah sweaty um i've just been leaving a whiff of my scent everywhere i go <laughs> oh, that um, is the vibe. in the form of uh sweat and beer little cloud uh, of it for those listening <laughs> audio wise or the, yeah, also those watching visually wow that was could have been said better but for those, those watching visually and listening orally <laughs> for those engaging with this in any way shape or form you might be able to hear an, a fan going in the background and that's because it's currently like 30 degrees outside and i am not gonna do and that it's september yeah like, it's, it's almost double digit september uh, i'm like what is this it's september school is back and mm. it's stupidly sunny so screw it they're still going to give you content we're going to give you content with a fan <laughs> could be some air conditioning as well but in doing the content the way this i i have I'm very you do aware. love to use the word content I, in this podcast. I've noticed. I did like a mass listen to the episodes, and I was like, Tyrone loves talking. It's about it's the thing. It's, it, you know when you start saying something ironically to the point that it then becomes actual yeah. thing you say. That was me and saying LOL a couple uh, years ago. Yeah, uh, content has now become the thing I say seriously. And with that, we'll start this podcast. I'll do podcast for now with um, just as I've been doing with most people in this podcast, how I first met them. Yeah, uh, we have a real, we have a meet cute. We have oh. a really good one. Yeah. So, um, do you want to start? So, <laughs> the, the, so not the weird part about this, but like, so for me, my, my way of how I first met you would be poetry takeaway. Yeah. But as you mentioned the poetry takeaway, you'd seen me do um, a gig before that. I In Barnet of all yeah. places. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So I saw you perform um, and then I saw you exit <laughs> <laughs> exit stay try <laughs> so i think we <laughs> i think we passed each other and you were kind of doing the thing you know like um those segments in tabloids that are like celebrities they're just like us stars you know <laughs> and so it's funny to see you it's not really a stage is it but kind of like under the lights you know in the front and then um at the end of the gig like walked by you I, well i think you were like on your phone looking for the route home and i was like wow <laughs> tyrone he's just like us <laughs> I don't know why I flipped my hair then, for those who are watching, but um, yeah. I, and then, I am flipped hair worthy, obviously. <laughs> and then fast forward, months, months later, I um, I had cold called, or cold emailed Michael at Poetry Takeaway um, and managed to get myself on the roster. And we met in Canary Wharf doing a gig, which I was feeling a bit, I mean, it's Canary Wharf. No one loves <laughs> going there, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but actually, it was a perfectly pleasant time, and it was it was a beautiful weather day. After the the writing of the poems and the performing of the poems, we got to go out and have some free alcohol. Got a little drunk, <laughs> like two beers deep, and I'm like, woo! Uh, the bartender hit on me in front of you and Michael, oh, which I thought wonderful. was a very bold move. Of him. No shame on his part at all, and I have so much both, both respect and confusion at that. It's like, I mean. Go, shoot your shot, but also, <laughs> re really? Okay. 
Okay. But I thought it was really beautiful because I think um, we'd all kind of loosened up around with each other enough that then, like, yeah, I think he hit on me and then I hit on Michael and then Michael hit on you. and then you, So we all kind of, like, we diffused the situation very well, which I thought was lovely. And then, um, yeah, we went down to Canary Wharf um, tube station and chatted and watched train after train after train pass us by. <laughs> Uh, until I finally had to pee so badly that I had that fun one. <laughs> and yeah, we just chatted the the evening away. And uh, then that's how we met, yeah. And then because Me I am too. wonderfully intense and have no chill whatsoever, that thing of like, cool, I've met you properly in person once now. Now, come to my house tomorrow and do all of the filming and under all of the lights and all of the things. Because that's a reasonably safe thing. Well, okay, thing. you had just gotten your podcast mic, so you wanted to test it out. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, this is so, um, this is our second time yes. doing this because the first time, I think, was good, mm. but not good enough. So we're doing it again. <laughs> the first time was the trial one, which was a very good trial one. And it very much, I thank you for it because it very much helped this become what it is today. Mm. But I'm also glad we can do it properly now when it's like, I vaguely know what I'm doing. I don't. You have, you have segments. <laughs> well, I, I, I have segments. I have, I have intro music. I have graphics. I have you all do. the You do, you have the things. graphics, yeah. A whole thing. And speaking of those graphics, let's see another segue. <laughs> We're going to have a graphic come in now as we now go into our first section called Timelines. As we have already done in our testing of this, Timelines is where we go over someone's past, present, and future in the creative endeavor that they are doing. And yours, I believe, as we are going to go into is properly poetry, I suppose. But also, if you want to talk about I other creative stuff, and I, I mean that more. You can, <laughs> no, no. You can have, you can, people are multidisciplinary. Uh, yeah. That's the word, disciplinary, yes. Mm. The, well, there are so many different ways of saying that now. Like, I think multidisciplinary was like kind of the first one. And then people started saying interdisciplinary. And yeah. now I think the hip thing is like anti disciplinary. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> Or like, intro, I don't know. I mean, if that's the hip defying. thing, if that is the hip thing, I am not hip because I have not heard that. I don't engage with that. That is not, <laughs> not focusing on you though for now. Then describe your past in poetry. Like, what kind of got you into poetry? What started this for you? Because especially as well, and not saying that all of my listeners are going to be in this kind of way, but I think so many people I run in circles with mm. are spoken word poets and performing mm. in that sort of thing. So a lot of them watched a YouTube video and went from there or went to a poach night and went from there. So mm. what was yours, especially as you were more page focused? Yeah. So I actually started out as a fiction writer. Um, so I was writing short stories and a novel <laughs> uh, of which is shambles, a mess. Um, but I, I sort of noticed that my short stories were getting shorter and shorter. They were getting weirder and weirder. They started not having characters or plot or dialogue. And I was like, maybe these are poems, actually. Uh, and so that's how I started writing poems, just because I think also, while poems uh, can have a very intensive writing process, and I'm not trying to um, discredit that at all, it is possible to write a poem in a couple hours uh, and have it be like in decent shape, yeah. be relatively happy with it. Uh, whereas I have never been able to write more than like a page of prose in a couple of hours. 
so I really like that there's there's no rules. There's no um, need to yeah have a narrative or a plot or any kind of um, convention, really. Anything can be a poem, uh, which I really enjoy. Uh, and yeah, I think I kind of, as you mentioned, am quite a page poet. And I'm trying to challenge myself to be um, more perform me with them and kind of get out there uh, I think I I have always shied away from it because I have horrible stage fright I don't like to be the center of attention I don't have that like performational charisma Formatation. We like that. <laughs> we like that. poems <laughs> uh, and turns of phrases so yeah so I'm trying to challenge myself to, to do more of that but my past in poetry is that I kind of came to it as a failed <laughs> fiction writer <laughs> and uh and then have really found a home in it actually um and have been able to um I think get more out of reading poems writing poems sharing poems than I really ever was able to do with with fiction at the point that I was at anyway and then like, with that then like when you were doing the novel stuff and writing novels were you engaging with poetry at all or was it a level of just you happen to go into poetry anyway and it's mm. like well I'm already here now might as well check it out I'm try- you know, I've been trying to remember what initially sparked it. Um, so I think I'd always had, I'd always, yeah, listened to poetry. I think like a lot of people, I came into poetry through um, people like Andrea Gibson and watching Button Poetry, you know, Dinosaurs in the Hood, like just YouTube, you know. And uh, then, you know, writing my angsty little... <laughs> <laughs> little bl- blurbs uh, in my preteen years. So I think, yeah, poetry has always been there. But I, I, I think I actually regarded it as, even though I was watching these YouTube segments, I always regarded it as like the ivory tower of, of, of art making, which mm-hmm. is a bit silly yeah. uh, in retrospect. And I was, I didn't think that I had it in me to condense what I had to say into these like crystalline word focused line focused stanzas and poems uh, and then I realized that that actually I don't want to use that many words <laughs> <laughs> and then po- poetry was there and I also think it's a, such a, a supportive environment and I think it's it's one of the last I mean of course we have some poets that have managed to to capitalize on uh, monetarily on their poetry and there are ways of doing so and sometimes I'll speak to poets we'll talk about their commissions and stuff and I'm like oh wow there's money in poetry uh, but to a lesser extent and I think um, it's one of the f- last art forms that hasn't really been discovered by the market so much um, and you can meet like a really successful whatever that means poet and they're teaching and they're gigging and they have other jobs and they're doing other things uh, and it's a lot scrappier and I think a lot, um, it's got a less of a stick up its butt than I think <laughs> the world of literature. I think there's definitely an idea that there's very few people I know that poetry is their only way of making money, their only source mm. of income. They often have another job with it. And with that, the fact that they still keep going back to poetry, whether it's yeah. their first love or second love, I think kind of lends itself to a thing of like, no, but I want to come back to this rather than I have to do this to make money. And I think that does help the community yeah. a bit in that kind of way. But again, sticking with your 
journey in this. We are now going to your present section. So where are you at the moment with poetry? We were talking obviously off camera beforehand that mm. you're looking to start doing some more performing. So like, I guess so partly one, where are you? And two, with that, like, is performing a thing you feel you're almost being pushed into or a thing <laughs> you are willingly choosing to do? It's a bit of both. It's a bit of both. I, I think I've reached the point where um, I kind of have to get over my stage fright, I think. And I have to, I've, I've sort of intellectually realized, you know, no one cares about you. <laughs> you know, as people are watching you and then they forget about you the minute that you've gone. Um, like no one is doing this uh, cataloging that I'm, that my anxiety is imagining. Um, and also it's, it's okay to suck live, you know, mm. it's okay <laughs> to have people see you maybe, um, stumble a bit and that's that's fine and that's part of um being vulnerable which I do think is a good way of moving through the world but is also really difficult and I've struggled with it uh so I think there's that aspect of I just feel like I need to push myself out of my comfort zone and and translate this intellectual knowledge that I have about how um no one cares about you as much as you care about you uh and and move that into the body and start performing. <clears throat> so there's that aspect of it. And then there is a little bit of the, my visa <laughs> expires <laughs> in April. And uh, I'm going to try to, there's like, I think they're called like the global talent and the global promise or something like that. And global talent is if you've like won a Brit award or <laughs> you're like, you've been shortlisted for the man bugger or something yeah. i'm not going to be getting there by april 2024 i can tell you that much but there's another route that um if you can kind of prove that you can contribute something to to british um art culture and i think having a list of kind of places that i've performed and where i've made an appearance and and shared my art um both in publication as well as performance uh is is good, is good for that <laughs> uh, and also I, I um, am kind of finishing up my first poetry manuscript and I think I have maybe uh, you know some words that I want to change here and there and maybe a couple poems that I could add into it and, and maybe some shifting around of the order but I am um, <clears throat> I bought a printer nice and uh, so another thing about my present is that I quit my job in the beginning of the summer and uh, and I've like always had a job and I've always been quite anxious about money and needing to have like, you know, every two weeks money coming <laughs> in very reliably and, and uh, I'm going to start freelancing and, and be self-employed and working myself. So I was like, okay, buy a printer, expense it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but then I didn't buy enough printer paper. Uh, so I, I still had like a little bit of printer paper that I'd just like stolen from a library sometime uh, and didn't buy any and so I only had maybe like 16 <laughs> sheets of printer paper they were like a little bit stained as well so like, I think exclusive. I'd put like coffee on them so it's an exclusive first manuscript <laughs> unique <laughs> and I, for I had to format it so that each page uh, had like four pages on it so then I have these like tiny little sheets and I laid them on on the floor of of my living room and um fiddled around with the order a bit and so I think I have vaguely kind of ish how I want it to be shaped um but yeah that's exciting and also a bit um I guess puts me in an interesting place artistically where I feel like I've I've 
um, gotten out a lot of the material that I wanted to write poems about, like everything that was kind of like hot enough to the touch that I wanted to write about it. Um, And so these poems kind of document a lot of my 20s. And and now I'm like, what do I write about now? (laughs) Which is exciting. And also um, to kind of segue into the future, uh, making me realize that I think I need to really prioritize like absorbing things, yeah. absorbing new things and kind of getting those new inputs that I can kind of metabolize into poetry. Because I think, um, yeah, the, the things that I've been fixated on or writing poems about, um, I'm sure will continue my whole life. You know, you see yeah. these poets that have put out 10 collections and, and through each collection you see some of this, the same fixations, but kind of over time. And I, I think that there that will be the case for me as well. Um, there are things that, that else I'm still going to be me and I'm still going to be interested in, but I, yeah, I want to learn new things. I want to read new things. I want to um, challenge myself in, in new ways and um, not be so sick of myself. I don't know. I think at this point, I'm like, I've reached the point where I'm just like, oh, I'm so sick of myself. I'm yeah. so sick of these like two things that I write about. I've, I've, I've had it <laughs> joked about with a few people that like, we only have like <clears throat> five or six different stories we write and we just keep writing the same story yeah. over and over again in different yeah. ways and like and that's humanity not even just oh, yeah. each individual person and like it's that thing of like I think it's the same way of like this general store like stories in general of like you can break it down to good triumphs over evil etc and break it can tell mm. the whole like eight different types of story thing and like yeah. I think similar was on poetry but a level of like I don't think that's necessarily bad like I know I was not struggling but when I was working on my second book that just came out, I was having lots of thoughts of like, but I wrote what I needed to do in the first book, and yeah. like, there's nothing. I don't not. I don't have anything more to say. But like, I said things fine. Like, I already talked about blackness. I don't need, don't need to talk about it again. Mm. But like, blackness is constant in so many ways, and there's different ways to tackle things. And like, oh yeah, no, there there, there mm. is still more to mine here. Like, there is still more things here, and like, yeah, a new thing happens in the world, and it's like similar to what I was talking about but oh here's more to keep going on so you do that so Mm-mm. I feel that and I guess I guess for you in your future then as well one what I mean numbers I do numbers <laughs> and lists naturally with your future like where are you looking for your poetry to go especially if you're doing more performing like mm. are there any places you want to perform or anything you want to try and do performance wise and also with that like we'll probably talk about it more in the let's talk about section but is you now looking to do more performing stuff, changing your style of writing? Mm. That's an interesting question. Um, I think, I think, um, you know, having discovered kind of contemporary poetry through YouTube, um, but still, I think, growing up in a place where there was not like a super vibrant poetry scene um so I think most of my formative experiences with poetry have been reading poems myself um you know in a book (laughs) and from that kind of gaining this sensibility and also because I'm so scared of being in public uh my sensibility of poetry has always been so fixated on like where is this line break what is the shape of the poem how does it look on the page like uh where might I just press the tab button a couple times and create this space in the middle of a line? Uh, and I just, I 
I'm very interested in kind of visually and on the page how uh, words look. And I, I would like to continue that. I don't, I don't want poet, um, performance to, to um, necessarily affect too much that sensibility. However, I do also want to start um, seeing poetry as more of, a, I guess, a collaborative maybe medium in my own life. So I would love to maybe co-write a poem or um, maybe write poems in conversation with a friend. I think there's been a couple of projects that have been like that. Um, I forget what it was called, um, but there was a um, conversation between um, the poet Natalie Diaz and um, Ada Limon, and they wrote kind of letters back and forth, obviously two poets, and they wrote back and forth to each other. Uh, and I found that to be really interesting. Um, and that's not performance necessarily, but it is kind of perhaps more outwardly facing. Uh, I think, yeah, I want to move into a more outwardly facing poetry life, whatever that that looks like. And I think poetry takeaway has been good for that as well. It's bad that my first thought of like writing poems back and forth to each <laughs> other went for like poetry diss tracks. I mean, poetry diss tracks, <laughs> but that's... <laughs> I would love that too. I mean, honestly, uh, rap, I mean, rap is one of the, I guess, more mainstream if you will types of poetry that's that's where poetry has made its money it's in, <laughs> <laughs> it's in <True>. rap <laughs> but like i guess like so like with your so with that then like obviously with visa issues as well not visa issues but looking at the visa mm-hmm. stuff like mm-hmm. with your future in poetry are you looking for your future poetry to be here or elsewhere mm. and if here why here yeah <laughs> like, why would you come here <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I sort of have to um, say that I am in a, a very privileged position where even if I were to not get a visa or have my visa denied or, or something, um, I hold an American passport and I can still stay here and, and do stuff um, or yeah, go most places in the world that I want. Um, it was funny, I was talking to a friend, um, one of my best friends uh, named Sharif, and uh, he's from Afghanistan. We were talking about like super powers that we might want to have. Uh, and I mentioned how um, I would want to be invisible. And he's like, that's so creepy. And I was like, okay, fine, <laughs> I'll change it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I, I wish that I could like snap my fingers and kind of go anywhere. Like, ti- um, yeah, like instant travel. And he was like, you're American. You can already do that. You can already go. I was like, oh my gosh good point again (laughs) just like (laughs) just yeah skewering me every which way of my my uh superpower desires but uh uh, sorry a little bit of a tangent but yeah i (laughs) i i the thing that i like about um the poetry scene here is that because it is smaller i think i've been able to access it in different ways than maybe I would be able to in, say, the U.S., where um, it's just so big. There's just so many people. And uh, it's and it's vibrant in, in, in many ways, obviously. Um, but I think for myself, as, as a, I guess, slightly shyer person, um, I haven't had to try as hard to make these connections that I've been able to make you know if I were in the US like I wouldn't be sitting around with an American Tyrone Lewis being interviewed for a podcast I don't even know who American Tyrone Lewis would be I mean the poetry world has continued without me there obviously um yeah so I I I like I like that about it um I think 
that um, my controversial opinion is that the world of American poetry is very, very innovative, but it's also a lot more um, gatekept, I think. Mm-hmm. Overall. Yeah. I mean, these are <laughs> huge generalizations, yeah. obviously. But I still love the idea that we're saying that I come to London because it's small. <laughs> it's kind of what to go away from that. Yeah, this, you know, cute... <laughs> cute, quaint little London. Provincial town. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that wonderful note, we will end the future and timeline section there as we will now move into the fun Let's Talk About section where... We'll probably go a little bit deep on page poetry and all of that side of things. So now going into our next section, seamless, always seamless. Um, <laughs> going into our next section, we're doing the let's talk about section where I will say let's talk about page poetry, but we'll see how much we stick to it as a topic. But nevertheless, as discussed beforehand, you are arguing more of a page poet than a performance poet in that kind of way and just for argument stereotypes they can bring up this division what would you describe as a page poet is then just to kind of get us a good grounding for this mm. um i th- i would say it's a good question i mean i i don't know because i think of course there's these divisions and i i think i'm i'm you know, stereotypes are useful in, in some ways because they can kind of help you make uh, decisions or or have viewpoints on the world without having to, to use so much of your brain all the time. And so for that reason, you know, I think the divisions of kind of like page poetry and performance poetry are kind of useful in the sense that if you only have so much finite time and you're like, would I rather go to a performance or would I rather like sit and read a book, you know, whatever. But um, I think... It, practically in the world um it's it's a very very porous distinction and i think because poetry one of the things that i like about it is that um kind of anyone can do it and you can write a poem and you can put it as your Facebook status if you wanted, or you could write a poem and record yourself and and put it on Instagram. People have had a lot of success actually yeah. <laughs> uh, with TikTok poetry and things <laughs> like that. I think I think these these distinctions are becoming kind of less and less important. But for me, what a page poet is is a poet that that wants to be maybe like sat with as opposed to sat in front of perhaps um and so the the poems that i write don't necessarily have those um those beats you know i I think page poetry is the like avant-garde theater and performance poetry is the stand-up comedy <laughs> which sounds so like a diss but i don't mean it to be i mean it is that i mean just calling it what it is is the whole thing of you're interacting with the audience in a different way so there's different mm-hmm. beats and things to hit on like with page poetry you don't have an audience directly in yeah. front of you that are reacting so like, i think page poems can be like very mysterious and weird which sometimes <laughs> i don't like like sometimes i'll read a poem and i'm like i don't i mean what is the mist like what is it representing <laughs> You know, why are all these words in this order? Like, why is it in this shape? 
like what am I supposed to uh, take from it? And sometimes I get very frustrated with yeah. the poems like this. And I'm just like, ugh, the just idea, say it. <laughs> almost the idea, like, like I want to enjoy the poem and they make me do homework and figure <laughs> it out. Like, I just want to just be entertained by the... Yeah. They're yeah. definitely, I, I get that. Like, There's a time and place for both. And yeah. I, I really, really, really mm. enjoy um, performance poems. And I really enjoy the feeling of, and I think, um, you know, something that I, I don't know in in my writing style, whether I would get it as much as I love the feeling of kind of being in an audience and listening to a poet share their poem and just the way that they read it or the way that they recite it or like where they pause and, and where they like look up or look around and like that kind of immersive experience of it in a different way. Um, it's just creating a different relationship between the poem, the poet and an audience that I think sometimes when you're reading on a page, you get in a different way because you can kind of sit with it for as long as you want. You can read it at whatever speed you want or in whatever order you want or... or um, the the poet is more invisible in a page poem in that way, but also it's more intimate because it is just you and this poem as a reader and this poem. Uh, whereas I think a performed poem has more um, spaces to negotiate and more kind of parties involved. Um, and I think they both, yeah, they both have their place and they're both really... Um, important i think yeah because i find it interesting of late they're like in the whole inputting some of my poems into the page and having my books out i've had people that want me to read the poem out loud first before they read it or level mm. to have a reference back to how i would do it before they read and part of me is like i mean i like that you like my performance style enough that you want that but also a level of i put it on the page kind of for a reason a level it should mm. exist on the page without me and i think that's almost part of, not my only distinction, but one of my distinctions with page poetry, almost level of, in page poetry, the poem exists without me. It's a way mm. for me, it's not me to choose how you engage with it. Whereas when it's performing, like, I'm li- dictating how this goes. I'm telling you how to engage with it. I'm telling you, hopefully by my inflections, if I want you to laugh here, cry here, if this is funny, if it's sad. Yeah, yeah. Whereas when you're reading it, you can interpret your own damn way and you can find your own joke there that I was not expecting. And Yeah, 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 yeah. And and I, I think about it as well, like, you know, when you, sometimes um, I, I will often have an experience of going to a concert before I've really engaged with the band or the artist. Because yeah. um, I'm, I'm someone who's like very uh, <laughs> persuadable. <laughs> And well, yeah, just be like dragged along to these shows, and I'm like, I don't know who this band is. Perfect plus one, um, so yes, and up for anything. Yeah, yes, and <laughs> and uh, so I'll go to these shows and I'll listen to a song and I'll be like, oh my god, I love it so much. And then I'll go to like Spotify afterwards and I'll listen to the recorded version of it, and it just won't hit the same. Uh, or alternatively, sometimes I'll find a version of a song and I'll be like, I love exactly how this riff goes in this recording. And then I'll see it live and I'm like, no, you changed it. Uh, and so I, I think it's, yeah, it's just all about kind of different different experiences and our attachments to them at certain times. And, and um, I, I, I think the beautiful thing about art is that you can experience it however you want whether that's on a page or in a room. And like, 
I guess on the experience of however you want, obviously going back to the timeline section, you're talking about how you'd kind of always engage with like button poetry and that and stuff mm. whilst also doing the novel writing and transitioning. Like, I guess, how was it from listening to poetry to then writing poetry and like, how easy were you noticing the difference? Were you noticing many differences and just in that side of things? Mm. Yeah, I mean, my fir- <laughs> my first poems were like absolutely terrible, of course. Um, I think I... When I started, well, when I started to try to write poems on purpose, let's say, um, yeah, they were terrible because I think I was trying to make them something that they weren't, you know, either trying to make them more um, kind of built to be read out loud or um, making them more um, trying to trying to replicate different people's styles because I think it's it's kind of harder in some ways to sustain like a novel let's say in someone else's voice but you can kind of write a stanza and be like this is my like facsimile this is my approximate style of like a Tyrone Lewis poem and and try to like put someone else's voice but with your words and uh however there's only so long you can kind of do that before it it's just not the right the right vessel for kind of what you have to say if you're using someone else's style of saying it. Um, that being said, though, I mean, I, I've been thinking about, um, in part because I feel like I've, at this point, exhausted a lot of what I have to say. <laughs> uh, and so I've been thinking about, okay, what is next? Like, should I maybe try writing persona poems or, um, yeah, poems kind of not in the style of someone else, but maybe using another person's voice or using their experience. Um, the way that I think, um, I'm trying to think of, of people who've done it really. I mean, I think a really popular thing to do is to like write poems about like ancient Greeks um, and be like, I am Persephone in this poem. Uh, and I've been, I, I've been kind of exploring the idea of doing that a little bit. Um, but that is also making me realize how much of kind of any poem is an act of interpretation and how any poem is, is, um, an act of translation. Well, I think one of the things that definitely triggers in my head there is, um, I feel like it's definitely, in written stuff compared to performance, I think there's definitely, uh, in poetry at the very least, there's definitely a lean towards with your performing a poem often it's yours it's about you you are some level connected to it whereas in page approach not that it that isn't the case but a level that there's much more of a acceptance of i'm i can write about something else and like you see the same in fiction and like mm. the amount of fiction stories that are about megan they're fiction they're made up stuff etc mm-hmm. whereas for whatever reason a lot of spoken word poetry kind of is just assumed to be oh you're telling your story and that's kind of what we come to expect here and i find mm-hmm. that always a a bit, yeah, a bit jarring because we would we wouldn't make those same assumptions about a lot of other art forms. You know, I think if you go to a gallery and you're looking at a painting of like a bush, you're not necessarily like, oh, that must be the bush that this artist stares at every morning when they open their window. Like it could just be a bush. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think um, kind of backtracking a, a tiny bit. Um, Because, yeah, what you said reminded me of something else that's, like, only 
tangentially related yeah, to what you it. just said. Go for it, go for it. <laughs> All about the tangents. I think um, another thing that kind of um, comes to my mind as a distinction is I think I, I love going to poetry readings and I will, and often these poetry readings is like page poets reading from their books or from their phones. And um, sometimes it will happen. And I think this is where I was going with the concert um, versus like recorded, like st recording studio version um, is that I will often like read a poem and then I'll listen to a poet read it, let's say. And I just will tune out. <laughs> I, just, I love going to poetry readings and then just like not, not, in taking a single word that's being read to me because uh, I feel like I need to have it in front of me to kind of follow it. Whereas I think in um, performance poetry, like I'll have almost the opposite experience sometimes where I'll fall in love with the performance of it and of someone kind of performing it and being engaging and it's like a full body experience. And then I'll, I'll go to it on the page and I'm like, oh, I, I can't really replicate this by just reading it myself. Um, and that, yeah, strikes me as like maybe a difference between it and that it's it's easy for me to just completely let the words flow over me in a page poem that's said out loud. Uh, and you cannot really do that in performance poetry. It's when I'm, without throwing all poetry readings under the bus, it's one of my, not issues, but one of the things I struggle with poetry readings. Like it, it just goes into a whole core thing in general, which I was actually talking to some people about the other night at Shits and Scribbles, um, we were talking about the idea of whenever you're performing in front of an audience and that thing of like performing in front of an audience, often they've paid some level of entry mm. to be in this room here. Even if there's an open mic and you're one of the open micers, you're still performing in front of the audience. Give them give some them level. Yeah, yeah, give them the performance. And like, I'm not saying do backflips all the time. Mm. Though I'd love to see poetry backflips. <laughs> on a very random tangent. Um, this is going to date this podcast way too much now. But um, the other day I saw Vanessa Casule on um, Twitter sharing Fergie, performing at MTV and doing like some backflips while singing. And Vanessa Casule wanted to try and find the poetry equivalent to that. I mm. want to see that as well. I want to see a spoken word poet doing whatever their version of backflips is on stage. I'm not saying though that poets should be doing backflips in their performance, mm, mm, but mm. a level of you're performing and yeah, yeah, yeah. Even if you are, as many poets are doing nowadays, reading off your phone or whatever, it's about giving the performance. And I think part of my issue with poetry readings is that I think there is some level of I'm just going to read from the book and literally just read from the book, and it feels like, and clearly, it's, in some ways, that's sometimes what people want. But for me, it's a level of like. No, mm. but I've come to the performance. If all I'm going to hear is essentially a live audio book, I could just wait for an, audio, <laughs> an actual audio book version if that's all we're I doing. Uh, and you're bringing up, I mean, I know I'm the one that kind of initially made this indictment um, by saying mm. the truth, which is that I love going to poetry readings and just yeah. letting it wash over me and not <laughs> hearing a thing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, sometimes, I mean, it's this, you know, sometimes you put on a podcast oh, yeah. just to fall asleep. Like, yeah. you need these things sometimes. But, uh, I mean, that's like an insecurity that I have of mine as I'm... Um, potentially reading at more of these things uh, is that yeah that's going to be that's going to be the audience you're going to listen to me read my poems Tyrone you're going to be like god she is boring <laughs> uh, give me something Anina give me something but uh, I think <laughs> I think um, that is potentially what sharpens if you go to poetry readings I think um, you can kind of se separate the the what is that expression the, I don't know, the bottom from the top, let's yeah. say, of, of poets. But I think a good 
kind of page poet giving a reading maybe has like figured out how to read their poems in like such a way to have a kind of gravitas but also has like really sharp in between poems chat yeah like I think a really good poet maybe will or will not have me tune out during the poem (laughs) itself but if they can have like a good kind of like intro to that poem you know where they'll be able to say something funny about the poem or like yeah that in-between chat I think is really important (laughs) so um I'm part of a Facebook group called Poetry Promoters and Mm. the whole point of it is talking about how we are running our nights producing our nights and giving each other tips etc and one of the conversations that came up the other day was a poet who come back to London and we're trying to get back on the feature circuit again and trying to figure out like what's the good way to get features at the moment and like lots of comments were like go to different nights make sure known all that stuff also some underline of things like also be good is also a help thing because ultimately people are going to book good features yeah I be think, good yeah but like going into <laughs> the specifics of that without saying it's the only thing I'm very aware that like one of my x factors when looking for features is yes the poem obviously has to be good but like if you can do that in between part, it's like, mm. oh no, you're good at this. You know what you're doing here. Yeah. I, I, I feel like I can book you, and no matter what poems you do for 15 minutes, you're going to be entertaining on stage. Yeah, that's yeah. definitely a. Like, I think one of my favourites also was like seeing Shane Coyzan perform when he came over to London. Like this must have been like almost 10 years ago now. No, a little under 10 years ago now, because of how heavy his poetry is, and he's very aware of that. Like. The poems are not going to make you be make you f- like laugh and all that kind of stuff. They're heavy as shit poems a lot of the time, but because he knows that and he knows how to work with an audience, his in between parts are dad jokes a lot of the time and mm-hmm. just a lot of light hearted stuff. And like the poems are going to bring you down to here, but in the between that, I'm going to bring you up to here. Like I'm going to look after you. And it's like, oh, you know what you're doing, and like I think mm. that's a performance. That's still, yeah, an experience. And I think yeah. So with you then as someone as you go to more of the spoken word nights and poetry nights, like obviously like you met at um, Right to Speak, for example, like when you're listening to the poems, obviously you were saying like engagement performers, but how much of you is listening to the words and going like, are you almost like hearing the line breaks and stuff like that? Or are you trying to hear how it's formed out or? I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of poetry readings, I truly am not listening. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm listening, but I'm not listening. Um, and so I think that's, another thing that maybe brings me back to the page <laughs> is then it almost feels like I'm discovered like I've, I've discovered a poet maybe mm. at this thing and I've really liked their gab or their reading style or something about them and then I'm able to kind of return to their poem and once I see it on the page is when I kind of make that judgment of oh this resonates with me or oh I really like this poem or this is a poem that makes me feel something and I don't really get that during the performance bit of it um and then sometimes, yeah, it happens the other way where there'll be like a poem that I'm like a real fan of and then you hear it live and you're like, oh my God, that's the poem. Um, yeah. No. I'm not saying anything really profound to you, I feel like, but <laughs> other than, yeah, I really just, sometimes it's just a, a meditative time to just have, to feel like a baby in the womb being spoken to by their parent, you know, or listening to classical music, like through those headphones that you're supposed to do if you're pregnant. Like that's sometimes how I feel about being at poetry readings. It's like an opportunity to kind of like go into the womb and just like be encased in this sound, but also with other people. (laughs) 
See, this, this is this is what this is the heat speaking, guys. My brain is melted. But I mean, this this, this is what poetry <laughs> nights don't have on their um, posters enough. A level of like, come to our night for the hip. Also, feel like you're in the room again. Like, like that that is pure advertisement slogan right there. And I think, especially being in 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 the UK, I go to a lot of these poetry readings and like. People just have good voices here and like good accents here. Um, and that really uh, benefits me in this experience of having like a really multi-dimensional tuning out experience uh, to, ha- to, be, to be tuning out like different accents and different um, yeah, styles and different different resonances. Uh, like I went to a poetry reading recently um, and it was like, you know, we had kind of like a posh RP accent and we had like kind of like a Yorkshire accent and we had like um, kind of like the London multicultural English accent. And I was like, oh my God, like so many different things to not listen to. Like, I loved it. To put you on the spot then <laughs> with the American accent, then like, how do you feel performing here? Because obviously like, not to put words into your mouth or assume too much, but I think so many poets here obviously engage with poetry via button poetry. Mm. And I think there is definitely some level of, Oh, American voice, therefore they're good. There's a little bit of a <laughs> Like, how do you feel your accent works for you whenever you've done any readings or anything? Oh, gosh, I don't know, actually. I, I really have not done enough readings to, to make a comment um, on this. I think my own, again, I mean, just to, let's just dive into my insecurities here. I mean, one is, yeah, that I'm like boring when I, when I read my poems uh, and that they just have to be kind of looked at. Um, and yeah, another insecurity is I'm just like, oh, I just feel like, I must sound like a child to these people. Like, they all have these, like, cool, um, authoritative, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe it's the, like, (laughs) it's the, like, former colonial subject in me or something, but I hear an English (laughs) accent of any kind, and I'm like, authority. (laughs) I'm going to choose to not go into any more depth or question on that specific part. Uh, Whereas, yeah, I feel like my accent doesn't have the same, maybe, gravitas of, of, I mean, and not even just English accents. I think I, I experienced this with with almost any other accents that aren't American accents, where I'm just like, wow, like you just sound way cooler in English than I do. Fair. Well, I guess like, <laughs> almost not to end this section, but to wrap up, then like, as you're starting to do more performances, like, is there anything like technique-wise or anything you're trying to like get better at, prepare at, et cetera? Any kind of things of like, yes, obviously getting over some of the confidence to be on stage and mm. part of it, but like, is there anything like, Oh, must learn like trying to memorize the poems or try and properly perform them. Working on, is mm. there anything kind of like looking at? Oh, this is the thing to look at. Uh, I think what has helped me a bit is to, and I feel this way about writing my poems as well. Is that I'm I'm writing my poems like to maybe like three or four people, and if other people read them, that's great. That's wonderful. But it's it's for like three or four people. And so I think in my performance as well, to kind of choose someone in the audience who may or may not actually even be there and be like, I'm reading this to you, um, I think has, has helped me a bit. Because I think ultimately, what is all of this for is just for connection and is to share things, to engage with things, to to um, absorb things from other people, to be in community and to be in in space, whether that's virtual or physical, with other voices and in conversation. And I think what what is kind of the the, the main thing that, that draws me to poetry is just being part of this 
like intergenerational conversation, to be part of this intertextual conversation, interdisciplinary, anti-disciplinary conversation Girl. is just is just to be in a community of some sort with other people. And I think what is drawing me off the page at this moment in time is this desire to um, to get off the page, off my butt, off the couch, out of my bedroom, <laughs> and into physical space with other people. Uh, and I think that's what I can sort of get from going to performances and maybe performing myself um, that is 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 feeling good to me at the moment. And it's obviously as a overarching thing of all this conversation, just to make it clear level, it's not like you have to pick a side of either page or performance. It's not one or the other. Mm. You can happily have your feet in both worlds. Yeah. So I guess for you now, like looking ahead... How will it feel? Not, I don't want to say straddling both worlds because that goes kind of pyramid. No, like, how does it feel? Kind of like, I know at least for me, when writing some of my poems, there's a level of like, oh, that's a poem to be performed. That one isn't. Mm, mm. Now that you're looking to do performing with these poems, like, are there any of these poems that you've got that's like, that poem just will not work read out loud at all? Like, yeah, yeah, because like, I'm preparing what? for this reading um, in, yeah, a few days. And I was going through like my little, you know, collection of tiny one fourth of an A4 <laughs> poems. And I was like, yeah, I was like kind of flip, you know, flipping through them. And I was like, no, really, not this one. No, not this one. No, not this one. No, this one needs to be looked at too. I think this one. No, no. And I was like, oh, what are some poems that I can really um, perform and feel? And maybe this is part of the the issue of kind of having wrapped up something is that a lot of this stuff now it doesn't feel um like caught the touch to me anymore and so I'm just I'm just not interested in reading this poem um I'm not really interested in like speaking this poem I'm not interested in engaging with this poem at all like it already feels like done and therefore almost uh no longer attached to me in a way uh so yeah that's definitely something that I that I experience or or um, and uh, again, I think this is more of a me problem of just not feeling like I have maybe the gravitas to like birth an experience of this poem into life. Um, and I'd rather just kind of keep it on the page for other people to do that for me <laughs> with themselves. To end this section as a just building off of that, but to end mm. section then, like for you in the poems you're writing, like how would you feel? How do in hypotheticals of like if someone else read your poems mm. out loud, like is that would that I think that'd be preferable. Yeah, yeah, I would love that. I actually, <laughs> I go to this this poetry uh, kind of group um, through the Poetry Society. It's called Stanza. And uh, it's once a month. Um, in I go to um, an East London chapter of it. And uh, we used to do this thing, and now kind of there's sometimes too many people there to, to do it. But we used to do this thing where like, you know, if if it was my poem, for instance, I would read it first, and then the person next to me would read it. Uh, and then we would talk about it. And I, re I really enjoy listening to my poems be read by other people. First of all, because it, it, especially when it's a work in progress, it really draws attention to, okay, what are the things that people are stumbling over? Um, you know, like words that maybe together look okay, but then when they're being spoken out loud, oh, it draws attention to maybe they're not that good yeah. together. Um, kind of clunky lines or... or um, uh, misreads even where I, I mean it to say read but then someone else reads it as read and yeah. you know e even just like things like that um, it just draws attention to the poem in a different way for me and I also really enjoy 
I really enjoy that. And I think um, I, I really just prefer to, to listen to other people read poems. Um, and I, I need to work on that about myself. Um, but yeah, I, I really, really enjoy that. So actually, maybe that's a thing that we could do is have poetry nights where everyone just reads each other's poems. Oh, and maybe that would also keep me from tuning out because then I'm like, oh, this is different. I don't know. <laughs> Where there's been lots of talk about people wanting to try to do like poetry karaoke or shuffle kind of thing. Where mm. you poems. It's, poetry karaoke. It's, it's a thing that people are looking to try and figure out, but I just want another day. But now we're going to go into our final section of the day as we do slow fire questions. Because that is, yeah, that's what I call it. Yeah, slow mm-hmm. fire questions. I know my own podcast. <laughs> And now we get into our final section of the podcast as we go into Tyrone's favourite part, which is slow fire questions. Um, I have my 100 quick fire questions. And whilst there's always the fun of the pressure of making people do them quickly. Oh, no, so there's many... not the fun of that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, there's the fun of that from Tyrone's perspective. But there's also the thing of like, oh, some of those are interesting answers or mm. answers that could be worth picking up on. Let's sure go for that so i've got my 100 questions here we'll let's say do five of them i don't know how we'll stick to that or not and just see how they go as we have actual sure. conversations and go in depth from them i say in depth i'm aware that half these questions are not worth going in depth but that's <laughs> the fun of it that's the whole charm of it all mm. so please can you give me a number between one and a hundred 88 Idiot. So we're starting off with Batman or Superman. <laughs> um, Batman or Superman. Okay, this is actually neither. But did you know that Spider-Man has to be remade every like two years or something, or they lose the right to it? I think Movie-wise, it's Spider-Man. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Which is like, oh, and like some of the new. Mi- like I really liked Miles Morales as Spider-Man, yeah. but it takes the fun out of it to know that they're like making them actually because oh. they have to, I, or they lose the right. See, the, the, the problem is you, you, you start in a dark path of going into the movie business and all that kind of stuff. I know, and, it's horrible. It's horrible. Uh, like, oh, the, this, to, to, get, to go on my tangent from this, the thing of like, when the first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man film came <clears> out, <throat> that was largely because Marvel were fucked for money mm. and the way to make money for them was sell the rights to their characters to different people. Yeah, yeah. So Spider-Man was the most profitable one. Sell it to them and get some money. And then eventually, when Marvel finally got money back again and the whole Disney merger as well, they yeah. bought their stuff back. Couldn't get the Spider-Man back, though. Yeah. Spider-Man was too big and they keep doing it. Obviously, they've now had... But I think their- the contract, yeah, says like if you don't make one for like yeah. two years, whatever, it reverts which, back. Yeah. Which is why the Tobey Maguire ones were happening, etc. And now um, there's been so many. I mean, yeah. they they created a monster. They created a... Uh, <laughs> an intro- <laughs> what is it? Uh, they created a monster. They created a hyperactive spider what is what is the premise of spider what it, it's like a so it's ra- radioactive spider radioactive right? yes. hyperactive <laughs> they created a radioactive this is me trying to tell a joke and then just not having the words for it but yeah they created a radioactive spider <laughs> oh, it's, oh, i'm so i'm taking as you're not the biggest super, superhero <laughs> fan in that kind of way yeah i neither i don't know I'm, i like i do like spider-man which is a shame that that's kind of that has that attached to it because i think that is probably the one that oh. I like. Oh. Well, I mean, the the Batman, like the Dark Knight is a classic. Uh, is that Christopher Nolan? Yeah. Probably the only Christopher Nolan yeah. film that I can stand to watch. <laughs> um, I think he's just, he's too into how smart he is, I think, Christopher Nolan. Well, there's a quick one on you because of that. 
stuff in the level of like, how is it engaging with the art, knowing why the art has been made? Mm. Can the, I mean, it's the whole art, separating the art from the artist, artist etc. Yeah. But it's that thing of like, cool, you made a good piece of art, but you made it for contractual reasons. How is yeah. that for you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I definitely think it is possible to enjoy the art and hate the artist. Um, and I think in this day and age, like trying to be less of a reductive person, trying to be more of like a engaged, like firing on cylinders, using all parts of my brain as much as possible kind of person. I think um, that, uh, I mean, I've never watched a Woody Allen movie. I don't plan on starting now, so I think that's fine. But I also think um, it's it's too simple to kind of cut things. I mean, I think when you bring money into it, that's where it really gets tricky because you're like, okay, I don't want someone to profit from the fact that they're a horrible person, but they made something really good. When there's other really good things that exist that you can be kind of giving your time and money to. But at the same time, I do think, um, yeah, there are some bad people that create good things. And um, you can engage with the good thing and try to be a good person of your own engaging with that good thing and create something with that good thing that is good um and hopefully with other people and talking about it and and I think it is possible to propagate like a good art work without um endorsing maybe the bad things that come because if you if you look too deeply into anything oh yeah I mean like everything's that, fucked yeah, <laughs> everything's it's, terrible oh, it's the whole, have you seen the good place yeah it's okay. the whole thing with the good. I know it's it's like it's like tangent from that, but it's the whole good place thing of like when you look at actually what a good deed is actually actually that what you think is a good deed then mm. actually if you look back if you go back all the way back yeah. and it's like yeah. actually that was a bit exploitative there or that was a bit exploitative there or you're doing a good deed for your own selfish reasons so is it really a good deed and all yeah. of that stuff and it's like too much yeah too much yes another number please. I mean, we we got a lot out of that <laughs> that yeah, deep questions. questions. <laughs> um, 18. 18. How old were you when you started writing poetry? Like writing poem, like poetry, I'll, I'll re-jig the question <laughs> uh, to say writing poetry that I feel like I can stand by, kind of happy yeah. with, proud of even. Um, maybe like 25? It's only been a few years, yeah. Like, how old were you when you started writing the novels then? The novels. <laughs> the novels. The novels. The, novels, the plural. Um, I mean, yeah, I've started and put away several by this point. Um, eventually, I mean, I, I really, really would like to write a novel someday. Um, and I think part of, of um, I mean, we just have to say that I think the poetry to novelist pipeline is a really sexy one. And I would love to be a part of that. So I, I want to put out this manuscript first so that I can so be part of that tradition. Quick question on that then. Like, <laughs> so novelists, like novelists, so poets and novelists pipeline. What about yeah. poet to theatre maker pipeline? Is that a thing at all for you? That could be cool. I went to Edinburgh Fringe Festival this year for a couple yeah. of days. And uh, I mean, that again is something that is just like, it's impossible to, it's almost impossible to like, um, to, um, uh, unbraid kind of the way that it is now so capitalistic adventure yeah. and so so prohibitive adventure for people um it is no longer in any fringe like it is not it is Edinburgh fringe is is not 
a fringe activity. Oh, no. yeah. uh, and, and it's, it's you know, going up there, it was really difficult for me to kind of sit and watch a lot of the performances without thinking about, oh my gosh, this person, this poor person <laughs> wants to share their art and has spent thousands of, do- of pounds on it, has spent like, um, you know, money on their accommodation, money on the venue, money to pay people to flyer and poster and... Uh, the idea and that no one is making money off of Edinburgh Fringe. Uh, Edinburgh except Fringe for the very is, top. Except yeah. for the very top. And even then, a level like, of like Edinburgh Fringe's goal is not kind of thing. A level of I do Edinburgh Fringe, then hopefully set me up for the rest of the year with future gigs. Mm-hmm. But this Edinburgh Fringe gig is risking it all, and it's like, I don't like that risk. Yeah, that is not a risk I want to take. Yeah, so it's yeah, really a microcosm of society at large, and because of. Yeah. But anyway, so I I don't know if I would <laughs> want to risk it and do anything that would infringe. But but going up there did um, kind of yeah wake up some some nation urges in me to maybe um, try to find a way to to mix poetry and and performance. Maybe not for myself, but maybe to write something that could be performed by someone else. I've seen a lot of people on the scene here that seem to go from poetry into that kind of thing like mm. this is where Tyron the name drops of people he knows now but like Inua Ellums obviously went from doing a lot of spoken word poetry and poetry into doing stuff for the National Theatre Jack Rook did a lot of stuff at the Roundhouse Poetry Wise now is um, writing for Channel 4 mm. and doing he's got his own show there and I think there's definitely a, a, a not a, a direct career path obviously but it does seem like, oh, people seem to lean to that. And I guess part of that is because spoken word is so mm. spoken and accessible. And then you make an accessible piece of theatre. And-, and I think especially theatre, I think theatre and poetry are much more uh, closely related than um, a lot of other things. Like, I think, yeah, maybe... maybe I, I think there's, there's a real, like, novelist to screenwriter pipeline yes. and then a real like poet to theater pipeline yeah um, well, yeah you're writing a story and then put the story in yeah that makes sense yeah hmm. yeah cool another number please uh okay we'll keep with the eight theme and go <laughs> eight eight um facebook twitter or instagram oh dear um i don't really use facebook anymore i kind of keep it around because i like to uh you know keep an eye on kind of what the the you know high school friends who have procreated set are up to um but my like you know uncle and aunts are up to um but yeah i i i I don't use it anymore but i i creep on it occasionally and also it is really good for events and stuff um like i think you know facebook groups uh facebook marketplace looking for housing like facebook is where you go for that um yeah so but i don't i don't like it i ha- i haven't forgiven facebook for for what it's done <laughs> um and uh, but but also like for traveling because i think uh you know oftentimes i'll go for instance um i had a, I, I have a really good friend who was living in myanmar and i went to see her there and everyone in myanmar is on facebook that's what is used um the most there i think it's good for that but i i don't can yeah. go it could go um Twitter. I was off of Twitter for over a year. I had I had myself locked out of my account um, because that's the only way I could get off of it, and it did it did cure me of the need to kind of go on it very often. So now um, I did a couple months ago get back on it, and I think now I'm able to use it in the optimal way, where I go on for a few minutes. I kind of check the accounts of the people that I like the most on it. Um, 
I like, you know, retweet the occasional kind of funny. Now I just use it for funny things. Like now I'm just like, oh, like, and there are things, yeah, that I think are so, um, like important that I wouldn't know about without Twitter. Like for instance, uh, (laughs) are you aware of the sort of Alabama brawl of a few weeks past? Um, Okay. Well, that's, I think, I think Twitter is worth keeping around for like black, black Twitter. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, like it's, and for re-upping like, things. I, I, I don't. I don't want to say I get my news from Twitter, but given the whole like trending searchabilityness of Twitter, this level of like, oh, something's come up. I'll see it on Twitter, and then go to other places to check out. But oh, mm. now I've seen it. Let's find out more about it in other places. Twitter is, yeah, I think the most up to date with that kind of stuff. And the yeah, yeah, it's a good aggregator. Mm. It is. Um, but but I think I'm I'm. My my time away from Twitter has helped me realize that that is what it is, though. It's aggregating yeah. and it's an algorithm and it can really ruin my life if I let it. Uh, but it also can show me a very catered to me sense of humor yes. uh, that I enjoy. Uh, and then Instagram is I kind of the, the next one that I potentially need to lock myself out of <laughs> uh, because I just I do. I just I like pictures. I'm visual. <laughs> Um, I'm a page poet. I like looking at things. We've established this. Um, so yeah, I really I do. But then it's it's really it's kind of it's rotting from its core out. In that I think everything on Instagram is now like um, a matter of like engagement and monetizing and influencing. And it's 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 less about kind of sharing the photos of my like semi boring, semi interesting life, and more about curation uh which i'm sort of guilty of being really susceptible to but i also think it's a good tool for kind of seeing what my friends are up to which i do like and i think that is a double-edged sword of sometimes i feel like i'm more engaged in a friend's life because i'm able to see their stories and able to see their posts and i'm like oh i know that you did this this and this thing um and so i feel like i'm a more active participant in their life when actually i am just a passive um, I, viewer of it which I got is not that a good. lot with like Twitter as well of like, like I've, and I saw that last year you put out your book etc and all mm. this kind of stuff and like I've liked all your tweets I've been there to support you and say no we haven't actually talked and I'm just yeah. one in the number of how many people and actually this it's, it's the power social relationship Parasit- kind of thing of yeah. like oh yeah you don't care about me the same way I care about you. yeah good, good to yeah yeah but it's good I think I'm 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 trying to use Instagram a bit more to um as less of like a foundational piece and more of like an offshoot. Like I'm trying to see it as more of um, like a place of opportunity to kind of, to to like promote things that I'm doing like in my real life as opposed to making my real life so much about like seeing people on Instagram and being like, I feel like I'm friends with you or I feel like our friendship is deeper than it is. And instead checking in with those people like really in deeper, more fundamental, real ways. And then using Instagram as like a nice thing to be like, oh. Uh, but because it, it is good to kind of see what people are up to in some ways, but not let that be your whole interaction with them. And also I've I've started with, with my friend Sharif, um, this poetry supper club. And I think that Instagram is like really the only thing that I have at this moment to like promote that, for instance, or figure out who would be good to read it and performed it or who would might be the audience people who would go there was the longest time when like part of my main reason of keeping facebook around was so i can use it for event stuff etc mm. and i very much 
kind of veered towards like, no, I'm just going to promote on on Instagram now. Like I don't, I used to make Facebook events for like all the processes I did. Mm. That stopped, I want to say the start of this year, but fairly early on this year. It's like, I, this is not changing my engagement and mm. people, there's definitely a part of me that's in the head of like, how accessible is this? Because as much as I feel like everyone's on Instagram, they're yeah. not. And it yeah. is still more catered to younger people and Facebook is more for a, older generation mm. the department was like oh no i'm not making it as accessible as i could be and i do need to be aware of that but it is also that thing of like my for better or worse i've got my audience this is where yeah. my audience is coming from and i'm just gonna keep it's working yeah so it's working. and now that you know anyone on instagram can kind of share a link in their stories yeah. or share stories or whatever so that uh yeah has made everyone an influencer but hopefully mm. that also means that maybe we'll see the in the same way like i don't think there's movie stars the way that there used mm. to be anymore and so i'm hoping that it's only a matter of time before like it eats its own tail and, and instagram kind of turns into a, a cesspit yeah. <laughs> yeah. me another number please we'll do two more uh 38 38 is are you afraid of anything yeah i'm afraid of heights I have a real call of the void, which sometimes when I explain to people, well, now that I have, I know that there's a term for it, I feel less alone, but I used to describe it to people and be like, oh, I actually cannot get too close to the uh, railing, the edge of the railing, because I'll feel this urge to jump off. And people would be like, are, are you okay? And no, it's, I'm, I'm okay. I just feel, I, I just, I'm just like, I could. Um, and that's really scary. Like, that's what scares me more than I think actual heights it's, it's, not, it's not the actual being up high it's more the what you could do because you're now up high yeah 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 so i find that really scary and very like disorienting and um like almost like because i'm so uh scared of it it then makes me feel like i'm like lightheaded and dizzy and then all the more likely to kind of tumble over a height and um yeah so that really scares me i'm scared of the ocean and of kind of large bodies of water which i'm trying to get over by learning how to swim um a bit more because uh, i can kind of you know tread water and, and doggy paddle a bit but um i've yeah i just i'm not like a going into water person um and i'm trying to to sort of get over that one a bit um and what else am i scared of i'm scared of public speaking <laughs> as you discussed um i'm i think i've gotten over some of the fears that like i used to be really scared of like rejection or judgment and now i'm like hmm. um yeah i mean i wish i had more like exciting kind of <laughs> I mean, fears that mine are like the very pedestrian I mean, heights you, you're doing fine there because like i <laughs> Um, Kayla who I do process with will mm. often call me her neurotypical friend and it, I think in a lot of that is what the thing of like when I think of like what are my fears it's a bit of like I don't know what I'm like mm. nothing springs to mind of things that I'm afraid of but most have got things that I don't like but mm. I wouldn't say I'm afraid of like I don't like rejection but I'm not afraid of it I don't like being yeah. up high because it is a bit but it's never never thing like oh my god I'm f afraid of it and I think a lot of my things were until I don't like I don't like insects that much, but it's mm. not like oh my god, I'm going to be so afraid yeah. of being near or anything. I think I've got a lot of things in that thing and like that realm and like I've not either. I've not encountered the thing that I'm afraid of, mm. which is like how do you feel about the deep sea? 
that doesn't I, scare you? Just being like, down, pitch black, all of these weird I mean, fucking so like, fish. I think the thing with me and that kind of stuff level, I'm not afraid of it because that is so conceptually not a thing I'm ever going to have to face kind of thing. <laughs> okay, fine. I think that's almost part of the whole neurotypical thing. I love like, um, I mean, like, 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 as a, like if I was there. You mean be, you don't like go out of your way to think about things that might scare you? God. <laughs> so, so part, uh, somehow no, somehow no, I don't. <laughs> Like, and I think it's that kind of thing for me, a level of like, I mean, obviously I don't want to be there. I wouldn't like that. That would be, a, I mm. feel like being in that place would be terrifying. And I feel, yeah. if anything, I, I guess like I have been in moments of distress, like, oh, like one of the most scared, not scared, yes, yeah, one of the most scared slash worried I ever was, was when I was in America and I was there for Brave New Voice and I got, I was young and stupid and got kind of, I forgot, was not paying attention what was happening when I was in a taxi and ended up crossing a state border on a mm. Sunday and trying to get back over that state border in another taxi. Mm. Most taxis were just like, yeah, no, we're not doing that. And it's like, but 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 I fly home today. Mm. I kind of need you to do that. And there was definitely a thing of like, oh, I'm actually terrified right now. And a thing of like, I need to, I'm in a country that is not mine. And whilst, yeah. yes, it's America and English language, etc. There was a thing of like, yeah, no, US is terrifying as yeah. fuck. What do you mean? Yeah, but it was like that was like the moment of like, oh, this is. So I've had moments of like that when like yeah. something has gone wrong now, and thus I'm afraid. Okay. Versus a, I'm afraid of something that could go wrong. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I, I think, okay, that, okay, <laughs> I, I, I have some of those fears as well, Tyrone. Um, I think I'm, I'm scared of like society. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm scared of this kind of. Um, I think tendency of I, I'm scared. Yeah, I'm scared of the direction. If you brought up the U.S., I'm scared of the direction that the U.S. is going. Yeah. Um, just reading about the indictment that was just handed down related to Cop City, fucking terrifying. Like that is so so scary. Um, I'm yeah scared of the militarization of of society and the closing off of of society. I think um, and you know, xenophobia and um, just unfriendly policies <laughs> to put it in kind of a silly way. But uh, yeah, I'm scared of dying, having not bettered anyone's life, I think. Um, like dying alone in the sense of, not necessarily like dying physically alone, but I think dying feeling like I'm not important to anyone or that I am not um that that you know my I might not I might as well not have been made and brought here um I'm scared of <sighs> <laughs> I, I, I am worried how far that this list was going to go. <laughs> so I'm, uh, I'm to scared go. of like what you know. <laughs> I'm scared of reaching a point in my life where, um, I'm like what you know, Every time I go to like an English beach and I'm kind of like walking down this like pebble stone beach and I'm like, wow, I really look and feel like I'm like. A divorced woman holding a secret, you know, and I'm scared of someday actually being a divorced woman holding a secret. 
uh-huh. along a beach. I mean, there's, I mean, okay, once you open that kind of worms, Tyrone, there's a lot of I, things to be scared I, of in this I mean, world. I mean, now but. though, I wouldn't agree that the divorce, <laughs> that divorce woman whose husband goes missing and you going to a PI, PI, PI going like, oh no, my husband's missing and I don't know what's happened kind of thing. I've and, heard there's a bog nearby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I now need that from your life. Now, that, <laughs> like, like, that's not a fear. That's our hope and goal of like, be that mysterious divorce woman. Like, oh no, my very rich husband now passed away. What, yeah, turned up in this small northern town. <laughs> Last question. <laughs> Wait, last number, please. Um, sixty-eight. Yeah. Um, best place you've travelled to. Best place I've travelled to. Um, you know what I've been thinking about. Um, I, so I recently took myself on a holiday as part of my summer of fun, sort of quitting my job and um, living off of savings for a while while I kind of get on my feet in sort of a self-employed freelance capacity and um, something that I've been thinking about is you know everyone always talks about how much they love travel and Mm -hmm. how it expands your horizons and gives you new insights and you know Um, but you know when you meet those people that are like chronic travelers um, like chronically traveling and have been to like a hundred countries and talk about it all the time. And actually, I think in some ways, and we can discuss this, um, does travel actually limit your horizons in some way? Um, I'm kind of, there's also, I was reading a few articles that are sort of like anti-traveling and sort of, um, you know, how everyone talks about how they love traveling and do they really? And like, what does that mean? And I, I think I'm reaching a point of my life where I'm, I've, I've always said like, I love traveling. I love going to new places. And I don't know if that's true. Like, I think I like living in new places. I like, um, spending time in kind of unfamiliar surroundings, but I don't actually know if I like the act of traveling that much. It has been an ongoing thing that when I have been on dating apps, if anyone has I love traveling on their profile, I will never swipe on them. Mm. Can't with that. It's not like what does that mean? Like, do you like kind of watching a bunch of TSA guards throw perfectly good deodorant in the bin because it's too big? Like, and because like so without going and I'm aware. I used to love airports as well. Uh, I'm like I'm really turning into it. I mean, because so one of the things I always think of, and this is the Mm. black working class. Mm kidding me if you will yeah. always think of like how much money do you have that you can travel all the time like i know yeah. you can get cheap deals for lots of flights and like and going to europe actually is not that expensive and you do a hostel here and there and blah yeah. blah blah not and i'm not saying it's just white people but others largely white people that think i'm like well yeah you can do the hostel because you feel safer in the hostel and can do that and if mm. i'm doing that it's a different conversation yeah. all the time and a different thing and like i think i've Traveling in itself, I don't think is the worst thing ever, but I do think there are some people that when they do traveling kind of almost forget their privilege that comes with that. Mm-hmm. Also, I just don't like it as a thing. As, like, I, I like being in different places. I like having breaks. And I think there's a difference between traveling and holidays. Like holidays, yes, I love holidays. I love having a break from this capitalist world and thing that we're doing and so I'm not doing that all the time. That I love. Mm-hmm. The act of actually traveling and doing that as a, thing all the time this level i don't personally see the appeal like yeah. i've got friends i've got a friend of mine at the moment who like they travel a lot but they're currently doing like 
the I forgot what it's called. It's one of the trails in America, but they're doing a whole fucking Appalachian trail. I don't, I don't. Okay. Know, but they're doing a trail. Pacific Denver. Coast Trail. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, like, like they're, they're doing a lot of hiking and mm. trail stuff on a level of like yeah. they like being outdoors, and I think that's a, also that's a, a different, different thing. thing yeah. a level. Like they're, yeah, yeah. they're a nature person. Because that's like, like an that. endurance and a sort of like um, active of human mm. resilience. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Not to mention as well, I think it's also like they don't like city life and being mm. like obviously this they will appreciate the benefits of city life whilst they're here because accessories, things nearby, the ease of that side of it, yes. But, yeah. And I, I, you know, you you meet these people, uh, like while I was traveling, I I met these people and they were just talking about how, like all of these countries that they've been to and uh, and asked a question of like, is there any country in the world that you wouldn't go to? And, and, um, you know, the other one of them was like, no, I would go everywhere. And I, and there, I, yeah, there's a bit of, of, um, or you like walk around with someone who's traveled a lot and, and, um, you know, they'll be in, in Tbilisi, Georgia, for instance, and be like, wow, that building reminds me of one that I saw in Switzerland. And that building reminds me of one that I saw in Thailand. And, and, and there's something cool about kind of making these connections and realizing that, uh, for better or for worse, the world is kind of getting smaller. And, mm-hmm. and also a lot of cities are kind of just turning into all oh, one city. Uh, you know, you go to London, you go to Paris and you're like, mm, it's all like just buildings all look the same now. Um, but yeah, I actually think that that traveling in some ways limits people's perspectives because, you know, you go to these places and are having very similar almost experiences in every single one of like meeting the same kind of people and uh, having the same kind of hostile experience and doing the same kind of activities, but in a new place. For me, for me, it's also as well with these traveling experience, not without, again, stereo- this is all stereotyping, it's all generalizing. That's also a caveat under all of this. This is not saying there aren't people that are good at it, blah, blah, blah. With that, I think with the experience, it's also the level of because of these people and how regularly they travel, there's also the thing of like, you're not anywhere enough to properly mm. get that. And I think there's so many experiences that you learn more, know more by being around it long term. Only getting snapshots of it is a snapshot of it. It's yeah. not enough to fully get it. You can get the cover notes and cliff versions sometimes, sure, but mm. so many experiences are level of like, I'll see how it's developed over weeks, months, years, and like yeah, things yeah. of like gentrification is like, oh, well, look at what Camden Market used to be like. And therefore, if we talk to people that have been here for years and see how that's gone, for example, like, oh, there's a different feeling versus just a, right. I've come here to talk to this bartender who's a nice person, can tell me the history of it, and then I'm gone. Yeah. That's not- and also, and people will be like, oh, like, you know, Camden Market used to be this way in the 80s and it was mm-hmm. so grungy, like, and now I have to go to Athens to have that same experience. Mm-hmm. And, and and we'll do that and then not really think about, okay, what are the ways I can organize to maybe in my home city to, I guess, preserve some of the things that I like about a place and so not aid in this like Disney worldification of every city all over the world. Yeah, but there's also, of course, um, something that can be critiqued about, you know, Camden Market was this way in the 80s and, you know, who was that better for? Who was that worse for? And um, yeah, I, I think sometimes I think sometimes people can travel in a way that like limits their ability to critically think or limits their ability to um, think deeply about what they appreciate about a place and what they can bring of the things that they appreciate in any kind of meaningful fundamental ways to where they live. Um, and then there are ways that you know people travel that are fine and good and and 
weird. I, I think for me, it's that thing of like, it's almost like travel is the verb kind of thing. Like you're traveling for a reason, like traveling in of itself in, for me personally. Again, I always like to caveat with that kind of thing. For me personally, does not feel like it's it. So like I said, with friends, they travel because they like to be in nature. It's like, oh, there's a mm. reason behind it. <clears throat> so what is more level, I want to know what the reason behind the traveling is. If it's just for like, people, just the traveling, that feels like that some, there's almost a level of like, who are you running away for? What hurt you kind of thing that you need to not be in one place all the time. And like, I don't want to assume that everyone that's traveling is running away from something, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but, only i am yeah <laughs> you're running away from me no um but there is yeah it's just not a thing i perceive and i think i think again some of it's also a level of just how you grew up in a level of like some people grew up in families that traveled more therefore mm. it's just become a thing like i first got on a plane when i was like what 10 or 11 we went on like three or four trips and then that was kind of it uh, from like mm. from when I was 11 to when I was like 17 18 so going on these holidays was never a thing for me in that kind of way and part of that was money and finances so like mm. I've never been that thing a person that thinks like oh must get on a plane must do a holiday like, like that like I would do I'd do a day trip to Brighton as a holiday out or date or thing like that like, rather than a oh I'm gonna have a week away and do this mm. thing that's just never been the argument that you know uh someone would make in in response to that to play devil's advocate yeah. would be like it's cheaper to travel than it oh, is to pay sure. rent in a city like london uh which is true but then also is is <laughs> is i think showing their ass a little bit in a different way of being like oh so you just don't um you are just seeking places where your your pound can go that much further mm -hmm. and and at whose expense is that because i think there's also like a flatness to travel that that happens nowadays as well, where you, you know, you go to a place and everyone's already seen that place on Instagram. You know, I've never been to Bali, but I, <laughs> I feel like in some ways I have been to the places in Bali that people who travel there like to go because it's like, you know, that one temple and everyone goes there, takes that one picture yeah. and then fucks off. And what you don't see is the huge queue of people. Yeah. And what you don't see are the locals that are like rolling their eyes and also making a lot of money from that. And that's like, I mean, it's hard because I think a lot of areas tourism is is the big money maker. Like oh, yeah. I went to I went to Georgia, the country, and I was talking to to this woman who was driving me to this this winery that I that we were going to, and she was saying, you know, all of her peers are making way less than her, but she's able to make more because she speaks English and she yeah. works in tourism, and and who am I to be like? To, to, to make any sort of comment or judgment on that. Like, I think it's cool. She was really interesting. I'm really glad that I met her. I feel really grateful for that experience. Uh, but yeah, I think sometimes tra travel can limit your, your yeah, ability to critical think. Yeah, especially because, <laughs> well, I think with the traveling and kind of on that, as we kind of wrap this section up mm -hmm. at the level of like, people are traveling to these places, but a lot of them are still just fluent and I'm focusing on UK audiences to some degree, but like, you're just fluent in English. So you're still sticking to just the UK friendly places and things, etc. Like, again, it would be a different thing if you were learning all these different languages and speaking there and like, going to properly engage with the culture rather than just the tourist friendly spots. Like, mm. I'm not saying do that. But like when I went to, I went on a work trip to um, Abu Dhabi mm. and was there's so much more to the UAE and there's a whole question marks over the morality and all that kind of stuff. Abu Dhabi is so westernized mm. that that was just like, 
I on my day off, I went to Pizza Hut after walking <laughs> past McDonald's and Dunkin' Donuts mm-hmm. in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, and I was like, well, well, this isn't. It's like that was traveling, and I was yeah. in a different city, and it was just hotter. That was the difference. Yeah, one of my my uh, recent jobs was working as a waitress at this members only lounge in Mayfair. Fascinating experience, and uh, I think. I would, you know, wait on on these people and I would hear snippets of their conversation. And, you know, these are people that are spending hundreds of pounds, sometimes thousands of pounds in one evening to sit in a tacky <laughs> lounge. And, I, and I, I think, you know, take that with a grain of salt because I think wealth has always been tacky. Like I think, you know, being an Egyptian pharaoh buried with all of your shit, tacky. The Palace of Versailles, beautiful, tacky. Uh, so I think this sort of when people fixate a little bit on like nouveau reach and like that's tacky it's you know you can you can hear through that i think in some ways um as a sort of uh marker of oh people that never used to have money now have money like how how gross um but there is this reality of like i would i would you know, see these people that are spending so much money to sit in this kind of tacky lounge and just watch YouTube music videos and be on their phone and talking about a trip that they were going to to Greece or to Dubai. And I'm like, in Greece, you're going to be doing this exact same thing. You're going to find the lounge, when you're, smoke some... Your traveling experience is going to cigarettes, drink some alcohol and do the same thing. Yeah. Like, That's... And you're just going to be looking at your phone no matter where you are. Um, so I think, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm in a bit of a a bit of a anti-travel frame of mind at the moment and and that being said I've I've always been someone who really would say yeah on my hinge profile I fucking love traveling <laughs> but now I think it's just become a thing that people say like I love traveling and what do you love about it what are you what what yes. what is travel to you because I think now that's that could mean so many things like the word travel yeah. and there's so many implications to to what you're bringing to that word what you're bringing to that experience that's fully my thing yeah. level of like, like if you love, again, give me the reason why you love traveling. Like, I don't, traveling in of itself feels like a weird, not weird. Yeah. No, again, claim your opinion, Tyrone. It feels like a weird thing to just like in of itself. Like, yeah, yeah. What, yeah. And I've, and I, I'm, I've always been lucky in that I've, I think, done a lot of traveling, but it was in part because, you know, my mother's Chinese uh, and um, we would go back to China to see family and stuff. Um, and, I think that is definitely like a, a privilege that I've had to have these uh, feet in multiple places, as well as it can sometimes be quite, um, you know, difficult and, and have its like poignancies and whatnot. But uh, I think that um, it is just a meaningless word now um, because I could say that as traveling like going back to like my ancestral home could could be called traveling going to a beach in Spain could be called traveling going on a um, long distance hike across the US is could be called traveling going like there's just could be called traveling, yeah et yeah and it's just it's just it's it's become like a meaningless word and it is one of those things that people and now and when you say that you don't like traveling if there like there there seem to be not people that would want to admit that they don't like traveling uh even though there are great swaths of people for whom traveling is inaccessible for different reasons you don't have enough holiday days to do it you don't have enough money to do it um you have other responsibilities that mean that you cannot do it and 
And then I also don't want to judge people who then travel and really do just want to turn their brain off and like sit and actually relax somewhere. Like I don't think that every travel experience has to be oh, this yeah. like difficult, meaningful <laughs> engagement with mm-hmm. with other cultures. But yeah, it's just it's like it's become one of those things. Like another thing that I you know you see on Hinge a lot is like I'm fluent in sarcasm or just like these things that just don't mean anything. I mean th- th- that's a different podcast. We start date passion on Hinge, <laughs> which I will happily do that podcast at one point. But that is not yeah. What is something that you okay just to. to to, to end with with a slow fire question for you, what are some things that that are your, um, yeah, what are your your dating profile um, pet peeves? I mean, the main dating profile pet peeve, especially on the hinge, is a level of when I have to go to the bottom of your profile to know which one you are. It's <laughs> like fucking five group shots mm. and just like. They have friends, Tyrone. They want I, you to know that they're social. Like, like I'm, I'm not. Say, I don't want to say that dating is a game. A bit of like. Point of the dating app is that you're meant to be. We're, we're playing the dating game, so like the fact that it's like I don't even know what you're. If you have your issues about like that you don't like the dating apps, so judging people on looks, etc., that is a valid point. But it doesn't mean then you then go you then engage with the dating app and just put up group pictures. It feels like a weird like. But I, you're all white women. <laughs> I don't want to say you all look alike, but you kind of have if a lot of similarities. You're gonna be my lover. You gotta get with. That's what. That's what. That's what they're saying. I mean. I mean, if yeah. they're offering that, state that, and that's a different <laughs> question, and I will still be interested in that kind of thing. But you got to, so mm-hmm. that's definitely one of the pet peeves there. Other than that, I think my main pet peeve, especially on Hinge of late, has been. I have been I don't, fortunate. Talking to other male friends or male presenting friends that have been on dating apps, the common criticism from their side, and there's a whole different level of criticism in the whole world of dating apps, but like common criticism is the lack of engagement they get from people to them. They don't have to engage. Mm. And I, without being, again, this is very first world issues, but that thing of like on Hinge when someone likes me, a level of, oh you're still waiting for me to do the first message and like oh Mm. I'm always the one doing the first message kind of thing and I think that's definitely a bit of a pet peeve of like oh that seems to be the common expectation that I will always do the first message Mm. again very minor in the grand scheme of things I mean I I think even saying the phrase first world problems in regard to that I I think is a bit like I do think I think in some ways Maslow's hierarchy of needs whatever it can be a useful tool, but also it kind of presupposes that you have to have all of these things before you can be engaged with what is arguably the most human. I don't even want to say human because I know that animal, other animals that are not humans mourn and, and, and feel these things as well. But it, it's such a integral urge to, to belong and to love and to be loved. And I think... Um, the fact that you <laughs> on Hinge want to be like spoken to first sometimes like that's not a first world problem like I, 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 I say first world you problems. could be in any situation want someone to show you a little love I mean know? I say first especially in this case I say first world problems in I guess acknowledgement that a lot of my more female presenting friends etc a lot of their issues of Hind or dating apps are level it's like, of, get away, there's too yeah. many of you. <laughs> not, not even too many of you, but think, the thing, things of like, oh yeah, like, got sent another dick pic, that guy did said something awful, etc. Mm. And that level of things, and like, I guess it's more on that thing of like, I'm complaining that I'm not 
being sent a first yeah. message where they're complaining that, yeah, so this guy is awful and I feared for my life or this mm. guy said something really, really sexist It's been a while since I've gotten a dick pic, do you know? I think it's because iPhone has tur- like has made it so the default airdrop option is, uh, I think, either off or contacts mm. only and you have to opt in to make it to everyone and only for 10 minutes. Mm. So yeah, since that happened, it's like, I'm on the tube. No one is airdropping me anything. <laughs> that shouldn't. That's a weird sentence. It's a weird sentence. But yeah, no, no. Point taken. Point taken. I think it's 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 a gnarly world out there, man. Mm. Well, on that dick pic, wonderful note. <laughs> I believe that has now bring us to the end of our podcast. Thank you so much for being a part of this. Yes, thank you for having me. Thank you for providing this lovely backdrop of all of these unopened <laughs> alcohols. They, they will be opened at some point. There'll, there'll be a day. One day, I will probably, and I'm committed to camera, at least one process thing will be Tyrone finally playing Truth or Drink on the podcast or something because that's going to be completely not a dangerous thing to do. But yes, thank you for being here. Your camera is there. If you want to let people know where to find you, if you don't want to be found, you have to say anything. Yeah, um, I can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Anines, A-N-N-E-E-N-Z-H. And uh, I have a website, which is just my name. You can Google me. Um, Yeah. Perfect. I've been Tyrone Lewis. Um, there'll be links on all the things to find all the processes stuff. We've got monthly events. We've got more content. We've got the Patreon. All that stuff support us because it kind of helps pay the bills and keep well, not pay, well, keep some lights <laughs> on. Like, it literally helps keep the lights on because that's what pays for the lights, honestly. But yes, help yeah. support wherever you can. This has been the Process Podcast. In- I've been Anina Junkardi. <laughs> You've been amazing, Tyrone. To sort of, oh. yeah, this is like the fringe style of oh. send off. I mean, if it's a fringe style, oh, oh, don't make me do my fringe. If we're doing the fringe style of send off, um, as they said, there were so many of the PBH free fringe shows. It was free to come in, but it's not free to leave. So it's free to listen to this podcast, but it's not free to stop listening. It doesn't really work for a podcast. So I love you all now, but bye. Mwah.